0: Well, again, a a beautiful hymn. Uh, The words come readily to mind, uh, sin with its follies. I gladly resign. Pray that will always be on my heart, on on your heart too, that uh, Christ came into the world to take away our sin. And uh, he died that uh, awful death on our behalf, that sin would be dealt with. How can we still dabble uh, in such areas? And uh, then that great prospect ahead of us, Uh, Till all the struggles of life are past, then through eternity, uh, ever, we will be nearer to the Saviour. How wonderful, what a great prospect ahead of you and I. Well, we're back in Luke chapter 4, making our way through the Gospel of Luke. And if there were a title for this morning's message, A More Opportune Time. Uh, And when the devil had Departed when he left the Lord Jesus Christ, when he'd ended every temptation. Let's remind ourselves who the devil is he's a fallen archangel. So, three archangels it's thought they're created by God uh, Gabriel, uh, Michael, and Lucifer, son of the dawn. A battle in heaven. Uh, lucifer not content with being an archangel pride he wants to lift himself above the seat of the most high Uh, he's cast down to earth uh, with the legions who uh, helped him perhaps a third of the legions of angels in heaven uh, sided with him they're cast down to earth and here we have the devil and his angels and he comes to jesus christ at the start of his ministry He's pulled out all the stops against the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but fails to uh, tempt him. And now he, he leaves him. You can imagine he skulks away. Uh, he's been defeated by Jesus Christ. He's dejected, he's devastated uh, that he's failed to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. With Adam in the garden of Eden. Adam was quickly defeated, and Adam is quickly defeated in a, a place of lushness and a, a great paradise. And the defeat of Adam, of course, was our defeat. Uh, that fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in Adam, all died. In Adam, all sinned. This is original sin that we are born with, that bias towards self and uh, sin. And we do things wrong because we are wrong. And it all happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam fell so quickly in a lush paradise of plenty. But Jesus Christ, who's known as the last Adam, uh, he is triumphant over the devil in a barren desert and here's the wonder of the gospel although Adam's defeat was our defeat and you explain the world today because of what happened in the garden of Eden Adam's defeat was our defeat but here's the gospel Jesus Christ's triumph is my triumph if I trust in him I have one of two possibilities this morning Either Adam is my representative or Jesus Christ is my representative. If it's Adam, his defeat is my defeat. His sin is my sin. His end is mine. If it's Jesus, then his victory is my victory. And when I trust in Jesus, all those demerits are taken from me and put on Christ and he paid for them on Calvary And all the wonderful life that Christ lived and his victory is given to me and to my credit. His victory is my victory. And there in the garden, there in the desert, sorry, uh, he fought for me. And the devil departs and leaves him, we're told. And here's the phrase I want to take up. Until a more opportune time. Jesus will be three more years here on planet earth and the devil will have three more years of opportunity to bring him down and how he will try it's not as if uh, Christ triumphed over the devil there in in the desert and the devil leaves him oh well that's that's it now Uh, he's untouchable no he he comes again and again throughout those three years the devil is clever And he is wily. Uh, He studies humanity well. And uh, he studies you well. And he's looking for your weaknesses. But he's also looking for your strengths. Your weaknesses are things he can tempt you with. Your strengths are things that you think, well, I'm okay there. I don't need to uh, double up with strength from the Lord here. And so he can bring us down even in our strengths. And the devil is looking for an opportune time. With God, we can say this about uh, the being of God. God is omnipotent. That's all powerful. God is uh, omnipresent. He's all places at all times at the same time. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. But the devil... He is limited. He is not omnipresent. He's swift. He's very fast. Uh, He can move around the planet very, very quickly. And as well as that, he has many, many helpers. There's a hierarchy uh, in hell. But he's not omnipresent. So if he's here, he's not there. If he's there, he's not here. And he has to be wily because he's limited. He has to uh, think carefully where to invest his presence. It's very unlikely he's going to be here. Maybe perhaps he has bigger targets to think about than St. Helen's Baptist Church. But if God started to move here in a very powerful way, then you can be sure we would attract more of his attention. But he's not omnipresent. He's limited in that area. Neither is he omnipotent. He is immensely powerful. We learn in the Bible uh, an angel could destroy a city and here we have an archangel. He's lost none of his power, but he's not omnipotent. God alone is all powerful. And neither is the devil omniscient. He doesn't know everything certainly not everything about you but he is very intelligent and so he uses his intelligence for evil means he has wiles the wiles of the devil And so we thought last week uh, he can even use the bible because he knows it well he will quote the bible at Jesus Christ he's able to quote it to you he'll not only misquote it he can quote it accurately but he will misapply. We thought about those things last Sunday morning. But now he departs. He's tempted Jesus Christ. He's thrown everything that he has at him. But he skulks away and he's looking now for a more opportune time. With Jesus, certainly three more years. With you and with me, he seeks out opportune times. And the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to write in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Beware, for your enemy the devil prowls around as a roaring lion, there's something of his power, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, but beware, beware. So let's think about the opportune times briefly that came Satan's way. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin with the foes and the enemies of Jesus Christ here on planet Earth. Throughout his three year ministry, he had people who were very much opposed to him. But who's behind the opposition of his enemies? Why do they come to him so often? with questions to try and bring him down, with opposition. Why on occasion do they try to kill him before the time set by his heavenly father? There is a power uh, behind his human force. Let me read from John chapter 8. Here is Jesus Christ speaking to a group of religious Jews. And Jesus speaks back to them. They've been opposing him for some time, backwards and forwards in conversation. And Jesus says to them in Mark, sorry, John 8 and verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. You, now listen to this, speaking to this group of Jews who are opposing him, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, that is the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Now when he comes with his wiles and quoting the, the, the Bible and he can even stand in pulpits. He'll be in pulpits this morning speaking through supposed gospel ministers. And Jesus is very clear, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Later on in this same encounter, uh, the Jews continuing to oppose him and to to goad him. And towards the great climax of John chapter 8, Jesus comes out with these incredible words. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, before Abraham existed, before Abraham was born, now Abraham, who at this point, we're looking around about 29 AD now, Abraham was living some 1,200 years previously and Jesus standing speaking to a group of Jews who were opposing him before Abraham was, I am. And echoing around the area, the sound waves vibrating and hitting the ears of these Jews, that great great statement I am now echoing right back the time of Moses when Moses says to God who shall I say to the people has sent me and God says to Moses you tell the people I am has sent you I am the great name of God Yahweh Jehovah Jehovah I am a name so precious the Jews would not use it. And here is Jesus Christ standing amongst a a group of Jews who are opposing him. Before Abraham ever was, I am. He takes on his own lips the very sacred name. So they pick up stones to throw at him. Why? They consider this is blasphemy. How could he use such a name? But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Oh, the devil looking for a more opportune time. Here he is hounded by a group of Jews who are questioning him. Jesus very straight with them. You're of your father, the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Who do you think you are? The Jews said to him before Abraham was. I am. And they pick up stones to stone him. Time of opposition, an opportune time. And the Jews looking to destroy him. Fools came the way of Jesus Christ. That might seem very, very obvious. But now, let's think about his friends. The devil would even use his friends to oppose him and to tempt him to deflect him from his purpose. So a time of opposition through his foes. Now let's come to him now when he's with his friends in a time of peace and tranquility. We find this in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16. Jesus with his disciples walking in a very beautiful area around Caesarea, uh, Philippi. A very, very beautiful location. There's Jesus with his disciples, with his friends. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say you are Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's the general consensus. Who is Jesus Christ? You could get the same sorts of responses today. He went down to uh, Queen Street with clipboards and said, "Well, who do you think Jesus Christ is? Well, he was a prophet, he was a teacher, uh, he was a very good man, he was a moral teacher of of great ethics and I love the ethic uh, that he propounded he's just a a good prophet a good religious teacher there's no doubt about that then he that's Jesus said to his disciples but who do you say that I am now not the people now generally and what matters this morning is not what's the general consensus about Jesus Christ but your eternity and my eternity hangs on this Who do you say that he is? What's your opinion about Jesus Christ? What do you think about him? Because when that great day comes of judgment, all that will matter is that you get the answer right to this question. Children, you go to school week in and week out, day in and day out. Great to be back in school, isn't it? I used to love my uh, school days. And you learn many, many things and many, many questions get asked to you. But the most important question is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? And at last, at last, it's Simon Peter who gives this answer. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the one promised throughout the Old Testament. You're the one who was promised in the Garden of Eden that uh, one would come, the seed of the woman, who will crush Satan's head You're the one prophesied throughout the Old Testament who will come and take away the sins of the world. You're the one pictured in all the Old Testament uh, sacrifices. You're the one who is prophesied by Isaiah who will take away the sins of the world. You are the Christ and you are the son of the living God. You're not just a man, you are a man, but you are Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ. Who is he? One person, two natures. I'm one person with one nature, a fallen human nature. But Jesus Christ uniquely, one person, two natures, fully God's. Now he is the person of the Son of God who takes to himself a human body and a human nature without any change in the essence of God, humanity and deity united in this union in one person, but two natures. And Peter gets it right. Peter gets it right. What? Well, at last, at last, and Jesus responds to Peter. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Simon. I tell you this, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. It's a revelation from God. You might read the Bible, you might hear people speak about it, you might read many books, you might come to a conclusion this way. Well, I think on the balance of probabilities that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God, that He really was. God, I think I look at his life and I look at the miracles, I look at the things that he said and did and I think about the resurrection and on the balance of probabilities, uh, I, I think I conclude that he really was God. That's not faith. That's human deduction. It gets you nowhere. But there comes a point and it happened to me at the age of 19. Many could stand up here and give their story. Has it happened to you yet? Where it's the Holy Spirit who takes the Bible and the Holy Spirit says, he is the Son of God. And when you see it, wow, it's nothing I worked out for myself. Only I have to use my mind and I have to think. It's important that I do think. But it's the Holy Spirit who takes that thinking and gives us new life. And he speaks and says he is the son of God. And that's what Jesus says here. You didn't work that out for yourself, Peter. My father who is in heaven revealed that to you. Well, that's, that's and this is wonderful. And here's a time of, uh, well, we thought about the time of opposition, the foes, the Jews snarling, picking up rocks to throw at him. Well, behind that is, is Satan in an opportune time. Let's kill him now. Let's deflect him from the cross. But now quite a contrast. He is something very beautiful. It's a beautiful day in Caesarea. Blue sky, the sun, the, the scenery, apparently is spectacular. There he is with his friends, 12 uh, disciples who've been with him for a while now and walking along the road. And who do people say I am? What well, people say this. What about you? I tell you who you are, says Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, how wonderful. At last the pennies dropped for Peter tell you this you didn't work that out for yourself Peter my father or oh what joy in the heart of Jesus my father revealed that to you but now the devil sees his opportunity such a time of all oh, these wonderful our oh, mountaintop experience what the devil looking for an opportunity and how will he strike verse 21 of Matthew 16 From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter, the very same Peter, who's just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know who you are. You're God in the flesh. Now, Peter has the audacity to look to correct the one who is just declared is the very son of God. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, "Ho, oh, far be it from you, Lord, this, this death, stop thinking about such things. This shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but the things of man. So here we are. Peter, great height, you are the Christ. Jesus explaining now not only who he is but why he came. He's come into the world to do that thing we can never do for ourselves. He's come to take away my sin. Religion will not do... (laughs) No matter how many church services you go to, no matter how many prayers, no matter how many books you read, how many Bible verses you know, no matter how nice you become through this religious knowledge, it doesn't take away your sin. And sin is your problem before a holy God. God is a consuming fire. And the wage of sin is death. Death. But I tried my best, my friend. Your best isn't good enough. Heaven is pure. God is holy. To be in heaven, I need a righteousness that's equal to God's, and I haven't got it. And the wages of sin, what I earn, is death physical, spiritual, and eternal. And Jesus Christ came to die on behalf of sinners. This is his mission. This is his purpose. His life is vital. He lives a perfect life. That's the righteousness. That I receive when I trust Christ. But my sin deserves death. And Jesus comes to die to take away my sin and nothing else will do. Not religion, not morality. It leaves me with my sin. Only Jesus can do me good. And he does me good by not only living for me, but he dies for me. So he tells his disciples clearly. Once they understand who he is, he tells them why he came. I've come to die at Jerusalem. But I will rise again the third day. Ho ho ho, that's not gonna happen to you. And here's Satan using a friend, using Peter, Peter the dupe, Peter seduced by the enemy, Peter speaking to Jesus, but it's really Satan speaking. That's not gonna happen. Deflecting him from his purpose. But Jesus sees it clearly. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man, get behind me, Satan. Oh, the audacity of this thing. He will use foes, he will use friends. Let's see now, he will even use family to try and deflect and discourage the Lord Jesus Christ. An opportune time, family. Two incidents here in the life of Jesus The first one, Mark chapter 3. Jesus has been very busy, working, miracles, teaching. He then comes home to Capernaum and uh, we read this in Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. Then he, that's Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. So Jesus going without food at this point, he's so busy, not even time to eat. And when his family heard it, his mother Mary, his brothers and sisters, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. He's got religious mania. Oh, we're with him, but he's pushing things too far now. Come on, Jesus, come home, sit down, have a good meal. You're really working far too hard. Uh, he's out of his mind. Here is his family, and Jesus hears about that. Let me give you another incident in uh, John chapter 7. I mean, His family are well-meaning. They want to protect him. He's out of his mind. John chapter 7, verse 2. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his, that's Jesus's brothers. Now, he had brothers after the birth of Jesus. Jesus, a virgin birth. Mary is his mother. Joseph isn't his father. It's the Holy Spirit who works on the, uh, on the womb of Mary. And that which is conceived In Mary is of the Holy Spirit, not of Joseph. But after the birth of Jesus Christ, Mary has other children. There are a number of sons and there are daughters as well. And one of those brothers of Jesus Christ writes the book of James. Another one writes the book of Jude uh, in the New Testament. These are his brothers after the flesh. But at this stage in John chapter 7, his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he sees to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. His brothers brothers are cynical at this stage. (laughs) They're pouring scorn and contempt. On the Lord Jesus Christ. This comes from his own family. And Jesus knew what it was to be discouraged. But he's not deflected. And Jesus we learn in Hebrews. Now may this encourage us. He's tempted in every way as we are. And yet he was without sin. Let's come now to a final letter F. We thought about the falls. We thought about the friends. We thought about the family. Now the final battle, the final battle and his death on behalf of sinners. The devil's seeking a more opportune time. Did the devil really know? Well, the devil had read the Bible. What's happening here? Jesus, fully committed, setting his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Here he is in uh, John chapter 12 and verse 27. Jesus speaking. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He knows what's coming. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said, it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die jesus it's come to his hour and on calvary the god of this world will be cast out the ruler of this world he's going to be lifted up and in that lifting up all men will be drawn to him did the devil really understand what was about to happen at this point a very close friend betrays him judas iscariot 30 pieces of silver at his arrest The disciples scatter and leave him. He is deserted. And on Calvary, there he is, lifted up, desolate, deserted, dying. And then he is dead. But in that death, death itself is destroyed. This is why he came. John Owen, the Puritan of uh, 300 years or so ago, uh, wrote a book, and it's a difficult one to read, but it's worth the effort, if you can make the effort. The title of the book is The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. How is that death a victory? The devil thinks he's won. At last he's dead, he's he's gone, he's gone. But the third day, the third day, all the disciples are desolate, despondent. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel, but now he's dead, he's dead. But the third day, how is his death the greatest victory? His life was lived. For me, if I'm to get to heaven, I need a clean life and I haven't got one. So Jesus lived that clean life on my behalf. He sits the entrance exam for heaven and he puts your name on the paper. You'll not get there through religion or morality, you get there through Jesus Christ. His death was a penalty for your sin. He dies to atone for sins not his own. He lived a perfect life, he never sinned, tempted everywhere as we are, yet without sin. His death was vicarious. He dies on your behalf. Unless you come to see that, you will die the death that he died and you'll be forever in hell. But once you see it, it's the Holy Spirit who says, hey, he died for you. He not only lived for you, he's not only the son of God, but he also died for you. And he rose again from the dead. His resurrection from the dead. Proves that he is who he claimed to be, and that his victory was your victory. He died the death that you deserve. Or oh, did the devil really know what was about to happen? I don't know if you read the um, the Narnia chronicles, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a great classic by C. S. Lewis. But he's giving an allegory of uh, the work of Jesus Christ, Aslan uh, the Lion. Children, have you read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? You heard about Aslan the Lion? And he's a great picture of Jesus Christ. But you know Aslan dies in the story of uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And why does he die? Well, he dies because a little boy called Edmund did something very stupid and foolish. Uh, He followed the wicked witch, because he liked Turkish delight. And uh, he gets the Turkish delight, and then he starts to follow the wicked witch. And uh, because he's followed the wicked witch, Edmund belongs to the wicked witch, and Edmund uh, is trapped. But Aslan, Aslan, uh, the great lion, uh, he comes to the witch, and the witch knows about a deep magic. Because really the witch wants rid of Aslan. She hates Aslan. And Aslan says there is a deep magic and the witch knows about it. If he will stand in Edmund's place, he will die instead of Edmund and the witch is delighted and uh, the mane of the great lion Aslan is shaved off and he's tied to a stone table and Aslan dies and Edmund is set free and the witch thinks she Has won. But let me read you this little passage from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. As Aslan dies, and all seems to be dark and in despair, at that moment they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. "'Who has done it?' cried Susan. "'What does it mean? "'Is it more magic?' "'Yes,' said a great voice from behind their backs. "'It is more magic, more magic.' "'They looked around, there, shining in the sunrise, "'larger than they had seen him before, "'shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, "'stood Aslan himself. "'Oh, Aslan!' cried both the children, staring at him.' almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer? It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still that she did not know about. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked back a little farther into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, She would have read there of a different magic. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would be defeated. Well, what did Satan know? He comes to his opportune time at Calvary, he's dead, he's gone but in the deep mysteries of eternity past, God had set in place that when Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for many, having done nothing wrong, death could not hold its victim and up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Death defeated, hell defeated, sin defeated, such that whosoever trusts in him, we done that this morning at home, Here in the chapel, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? He alone can do helpless sinners good. Oh, Satan, he's looking for an opportune time with you. If you're not yet converted, he wants you to think about, I'll do it later. Manana, tomorrow, tomorrow. The devil is always tomorrow. But God by his spirit says, Today. You know, in fact, not only today, now. Now is the moment to trust Jesus Christ. If the Spirit is telling you that He is the Son of God who lived and died and rose again for you, then you need to repent right now, where you're sitting at home or here in the chapel and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will know forgiveness of sins and peace with God and the certainty of heaven to come. What a glorious relief! Do it, do it now. Christ says now come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest if we are Christians he can't stop us getting to heaven we've seen that already but he'll do all he can to sideline us and put us out of action and he'll come at times of disappointment and success times of need and times of plenty times of sickness and times of health, times of joy, and times of grief, times of sin, and times of victory, always be ready. Put on the whole armour of God and stand in the strength of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. We thank you our Saviour stood against all the wiles of Satan, And even when opportune times came, nothing could deflect or defeat him. May we be found in Christ this morning. Maybe some trusting him for the first time, but we who love him already, by your grace, help us to stay ever close to him and to stand in his mighty strength. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen.